It's hard to be hip. <clears throat> I know that my progeny, my children, will associate with what I'm about to say. <clears throat> Have you ever walked in and saw your kids doing something or you heard something from the other room and you walk in and you're just mystified? when you see what you see. And the first thing you say is, what are you doing? Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever say that? What, what are you doing? I mean, you can see it with your eyes and you can take it in, but you ask the question, what are you doing? Well, 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 well. And you got a lot of good reasons. Well, usually my progression moves from what are you doing so why are you doing that? Especially with Asa. I could tell a thousand stories. I'll tell one in specific. But walked into our bathroom downstairs, which is just a little half bath. It's really a converted closet is what it is. A toilet, a sink, and a mirror. Well, he is sitting without his clothes on, on the sink, with his feet in the sink, with the water on. What are you doing? Washing my hands? <laughs> Why don't you have any clothes on? That's hilarious, I know. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? Why are you doing that? <laughs> I did not receive an adequate answer, by the way. Nothing that made me close the circuit. I mean, oh, okay, now I got it. <laughs> Why are you doing that? Because they were dirty. Oh, okay. Why are you naked? Washing my hands. Okay. All right. Fine. Let's just turn it off, get your clothes on. Yeah. <clears throat> so, <laughs> yeah, th- those why questions are tough. And I've told you before I had a boss, and I know that some of y'all have heard it, some of you haven't, but... His mode of interrogation was, why did, you, why did this happen at your store? And I, well, because of this. Well, why? Well, because, yeah, but why? And he'd get six or seven whys deep, and finally, he was getting to the point where he said, I don't know. And then he'd say, figure that out. Which was not really a bad thing, but it was a very annoying thing. Six or seven levels of why, finally, like, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. I don't know what you're looking for. Have you ever asked yourself why you're doing what you're doing? Have you ever had a good answer? <laughs> Every now and then maybe. What we're going to be talking about this morning is why. Why? We've spent a lot of time in Romans 14, and we will finish Romans 14 today. And we've gone over and over and over and over some things. And we're going to go over them one more time today with a couple of new things thrown in there. But what I want you to think about as we're going through this this morning is why? Why all this stuff? Why do we talk about this over and over and over again? And I want you to, by the time we leave this building today, or actually until we go back there and eat, I want you to know why all of this has been so belabored. Why all of this is so important in the eyes of the Holy Spirit who supervised the writing of God's Word. 
And why do we care about our brother's conscience? If we do. And we really should. So, we are in our fifth point of application. Fifth point in our outline, which is application. And again, we haven't gone over that in a little while. And it's been very, very... I don't even know what to call it. Just so plain spoken to me. I mean, literally, we're, we're at a point where almost every verse is an application point. Last week we had four application points. And it was one from each verse that we went over. So we are in a very practical part of this letter, down to shoe leather, down to in your home, in the church, at work. Why are you doing what you're doing? And again, that's what we're going to go over again today by means of application. We're going to focus on... Uh, Romans 14, 20 through 23, but we're going to read 13 through 23 one more time before we finish this. And when we get into 15, we'll probably have a couple of messages um, that are still in this mindset, 1 through 13. And then we're going to run real fast to the end of Romans after that because there's a whole lot of names listed, which is going to be actually going to be a fun thing to go through. But we're almost done, y'all. We're almost done with Romans. If you can believe it. How many of you have been here from the beginning of Romans? More than I thought. Okay. It'll be about two years, so. All right. If you would stand, and we're going to read Romans 14, 13 through 23, and then get into this message. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then... Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But... Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let me pray. God, I pray that again, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, and I mean that, God, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, by that very power, convict us, draw us, teach us, and equip us so that we might go out and live by the power of that same Spirit in a way that honors You and blesses our brother and loves our neighbor. Help us, God. Please, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I can get a drink of coffee. Okay, I want to just very quickly look back at one verse from last week. This is the last verse we looked at last week which was 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. What we talked about last week was we are supposed to pursue, chase after, passionately, what? 
what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Remember, we are in the context of talking about non-essential convictions and how to live and love each other as weak and strong. And weak and strong does not equate to right and wrong. That's a song. <laughs> Bing bong. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Ding dong, yeah. <clears throat> so, we're, we're talking about non-essential convictions and how we love each other when we have different non-essential convictions. We're not talking about matters of salvation, doctrines that lead to salvation. Those are things that we will fight for. Those are things that we will be polemic for. But we're talking about things that as brothers and sisters, we can disagree about and it not affect our eternal destiny and it not affect our overall morality. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. Those types of things. We're not talking about big ticket items. We're talking about meat, wine, days, things that will not send you to heaven or hell and things that will not cause you to sin in and of themselves. And so... When we disagree, and we will, and we do, we are to passionately pursue amongst each other what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Now, today is a very nuts and bolts, what does this look like, how do we do it type of message. He's going to recap some things we've already seen, and we're going to see a couple new things. So we're going to start in verse 20. Do not... For the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So, again, we've covered this pretty good over the last few weeks. But but let's use this verse and the next one to review and recap. That's what we'll do. Here we see that Paul moves to a command. He's not saying it's a good idea or try. He's saying, don't, do not. Do this. And what's he saying not to do? Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you might remember that when we talked about destroying your brother, which is the same mindset here, when we talked about that, we said that if someone violates their conscience because of something that you do, then they run the risk of shipwrecking their faith which can lead to their utter destruction. And we even saw some by-name examples that Paul gave us. Hymenaeus, Alexander, he said he delivered them over to Satan so that they might learn to not blaspheme. And then we talked about the guy in Corinth who was doing inappropriate things with his stepmother and how Paul said, deliver him over so that his body might be destroyed, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. So when we're talking about destruction, we're talking about destruction. Big deals. Not some petty, oh, they might not be as happy as they used to be. It might just wreck their world. No, we're talking about destruction here. So if someone violates their conscience, they run the risk of shipwrecking their faith, which can lead to utter destruction. So here in this verse, here in verse 20, we are told to not, do not for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Now there's a good bit to see here. Again, it's a command, do not do it. Don't do it. So if I tell you don't do it, what am I saying? I'm saying don't do it. Plain and simple. That's pretty straightforward. Don't do these things. Don't do it. Okay? 
and don't do it for the sake of food. Now let me let me take a deep breath and get some confession here this morning. How many of you really enjoy food? Amen. Okay, yeah, all right. We've got consensus. <clears throat> okay, uh, I enjoy food. Food is kind of my reward. It's like, you know, when I do something good, it's like after graduating, I'm thinking, let's celebrate. Well, how do we celebrate? We eat. We eat rich food. We eat good food. We eat lots of food. Hot food, cold food, warm food, re-hot, re-hot food, re-warm food. I like food, y'all. And it's good. Food is good. We should enjoy food and honor God when we enjoy food. But... Do not for the sake of food. Now, let me just add a quick injected, maybe convicting question. What do you do for the sake of food? It's convicting to me. But he says, don't do this for the sake of food. We talked for weeks about how the Romans had issues with who ate what. And how there were those who were weaker in their faith that thought it was wrong to eat meat for whatever reason. And here in Romans, he doesn't say why they're not eating meat. In in Corinthian letter, he says they're afraid that since it had been sacrificed to idols that it's unclean. We don't know that that's the case here in Romans, but it probably is. They might just think, oh, meat, I shouldn't eat it. It's wrong, bad. I don't know why. But for whatever reason, their, their weakened conscience, their weakened faith thinks it's wrong to eat meat. Okay? Could be that it was sacrificed to idols. It could have been other reasons. Either way, they were abstaining from the meat, but they were doing it in order to honor God. And that's important. And if they were to eat meat, it would violate their conscience. So we're being told here to not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. So, if those who are stronger in their faith, who know that idols are not really real anyway... If these stronger faith brothers understand that they can eat the meat that has been sacrificed to these so-called idols, or if they just understand that nothing's unclean in of itself, which Jesus said as well, by the way. He said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of him. And then Mark adds a little uh, dictation there. Thus he declared all foods to be clean. So if this stronger faith brother understands this and can eat meat... That's good, because he then does it to honor God, which is the same reason why the other brother was not doing it. But if this strong brother eats meat and flaunts that freedom, and that's been the phrase that we've used over the past few weeks, flaunting their freedom. If the the stronger brother flaunts his freedom in front of the weaker brother, it could lead to the weaker brothers seeing it and feeling compelled, well, maybe I should eat meat too. And you see kind of this waffling back and forth. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. We'll talk more about that later. And then when they do eat the meat, the weaker brother, their conscience is pricked, which ends up being sin. And we'll talk more about that later. So this sin, this violated conscience, is referred to here as destroying the work of God. Now pay close attention to this. We've covered destruction already. But what is this destruction destroying? The work of of God. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Now my question is what or who is this work of God? In this sentence, it's the weaker brother. 
and the work that God has done and is doing in them. Now if you'll remember back in verse 3, we saw... Well, let me go there. Verse 3, we saw that God welcomed both the strong and the weak believer. Let me read this. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who? Both of them. Verse 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. Who will be? The stronger and the weaker brother. For the Lord is able to make him stand. Make who stand? The stronger and the weaker brother. Okay? So God's welcomed them both, the strong and the weak, and they are both servants of God, and God will make them both stand. And this is God's work. And if you want to celebrate your freedom at the expense of the conscience of your brother, then you are no longer walking in love and your brother can be destroyed as a result. And in this destruction, it's not just your brother, as important as that is, but it's God's very work that is being destroyed. Now we're talking about believers here. We want to shake our fist at the world and talk about how bad they are. But what Paul's saying here in Romans 14 is that it's us who run the risk of destroying the work of God. Me, you, stronger believer that run the risk of destroying the work of God. Now let me ask you a question. Do you want to tear down what God is building? Right, Asa. It's like what we saw Wednesday when we saw that we're all living stones that God is placing in particular places in His building to make a habitation for His Holy Spirit. Listen, if you tear down your brother, if you destroy God's work, then you are working against God and you are undoing what He is doing for the sake of food. And the word for destroy here can mean a lot of different things, including dissolve, disunite, demolish, bring to naught, and this one, discard. Get rid of that. I don't care about that. I don't need that. That's not important. That doesn't fit into my plans. That's what destroying means. These are all words that we wouldn't think about doing to the work of God. So why would we think about doing it to our brother who is the work of God. Why would we consider doing it to our weaker brother by eating food that makes him stumble? I mean, really? Is food that important? You're like, well, it's not about the food, it's about my freedom. We'll get there too. Would you rather eat something you want, which is fine to eat in and of itself, and run the risk of demolishing God's building, which is the very habitation of the Holy Spirit? It just doesn't make sense that we would think that way. You say, well, I don't know that I have ever thought that way. Well, start thinking that way. And we are surely, church, Providence Bible Church, we are surely without excuse after all we've seen in this chapter over the last few weeks. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Now the next part of the verse reminds us that stuff and things in and of themselves are not clean. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make anyone stumble by what he eats. This is an echo of 1414 where Paul said, He knows and is persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself. 
Things don't have sin in them. Food, drink, days and such are not evil or unclean. And actually in verse 20 he says, not only is it not unclean, he says it is indeed clean. So he's gone from the negative to the positive. That meat that you're eating is clean. Your wine that you are drinking is clean. Your working on the Sabbath is clean. But here in verse 20, it's also clear that eating this clean food is wrong for you or for anyone if they eat anything, any clean thing, and do so in a way that makes another stumble. Your clean eating becomes wrong wrong if it makes another person stumble, if it causes them to violate their conscience, because that is sin. Your clean becomes unclean where? In your brother's conscience. So verse 21. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So in contrast to bad eating of clean things, it's good to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything. Anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now do you see the scope of this? (laughs) It's not just about meat or wine or special days. It's about anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now... Getting back to our introduction, this gets into why are you doing what you're doing? Or why are you not doing what you're not doing? You are not, it is good to eat, not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything, anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, what that means is plainly, listen, our Christian life is not about what we do, a list of do's and don'ts, but rather, why we are doing it or not doing it. The Christian life is about making sure not to be a cause of offense or sin to your brother. And the why in that question is my concern for my brother. My concern for my brother and his conscience is the more important factor than my list of what I think I should or shouldn't do based on some sort of universal do or don't deal. Why? Not what? Not what are you doing, but why are you doing it? Why am I eating what I'm eating is the right question. It's good to make your decision based on what will make my brother stumble. It's not can I for my pleasure, but rather should I for my brother's sake. It is good to not eat meat. Meat that's clean. It's good to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything if that thing causes your brother to stumble. And guys, that is monstrous. And it sets the stage for the whole, W-H-O-L-E, the whole of your Christian life. Everything about your Christian life. Because you shouldn't do anything, anything, anything that causes your brother to stumble that violates their conscience. You are free to eat and drink whatever. You are free from ceremonial laws and requirements for your acceptance before God. So yes, that's great. But you now have the wire to walk of determining your brother's convictions so that you might not offend or cause him to stumble. Now that feels hopeless, doesn't it? 
You're going, gee Louise, man, I'm, what? If you are simply walking in your freedom, you're missing the bulk of the Christian life. Did you hear that? If you're only walking in your freedom, you are missing the bulk of the Christian life. I'm free to drink beer if I want to. But if you only walk in that freedom and don't take into consideration whether or not that freedom is an offense to your brother, your why is wrong. Your reasoning is bad. Just because you're free to do it doesn't mean you should. Asa was free to sit on the sink naked, washing his hands. But that doesn't mean that he should have done that. Just because you're free to do it doesn't mean you should do it. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Be very, very careful. More on this in application. But let's go to this next verse, which we're getting into some new material now. And this is, can be a little bit puzzling at first. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. You're like, what? A <laughs> couple confusing things there, I think. So in order to address the issue of freedom, Paul now turns to the strong believer, the one operating in his liberty who knows that they can eat whatever food or drink whatever drink, knowing it is not in, unclean in and of itself. He's already told them that what they don't do is important in not offending their weaker brother. But now, he says if they are going to walk in that faith and do these things that are not wrong in and of themselves, then they should do that between themselves and God. Now what's that mean? Sounds like what the world tells us. It's okay for you to believe in that Jesus stuff, but keep it to yourself. Keep it in your home. It's not for the public square. Because that's offensive. Doesn't that sound like what he's saying? The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Does that mean zip out there? That I should just close the windows if I'm Daniel and pray in private so that nobody can see? Is that what Paul's saying? The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Listen, if there are those, and they are, there are those people out there who don't believe in Jesus, who can quote the Bible better than you, they're going to bring this up to you when you try to go out in the public square and share your faith. When you tell people that they're wrong for what they're doing and that what they're doing is sin and that they need to repent, they're going to say, don't you judge me. Keep your faith between yourself and God. But is that what Paul's saying here? And I think you know it's not. It's not what he's saying. I'm not sure that there's ever been a human being in history who was so passionate about making his faith public than the Apostle Paul. So you answer the question, is Paul saying to keep your faith private? The answer is no, not at all. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is that if you're going to exercise your liberty as a strong believer who knows that nothing is unclean in and of itself, if you're going to exercise that liberty in your faith and eat meat that, others believe, that other believers are offended by, then do that in private or in the circles of people who are not offended by it. Keep that freedom, that liberty between yourself and God. Honor God by eating your meat where it won't offend anyone else. It's private. I can honor God with this meat in private, but if I do it where somebody thinks it's offensive, well, guess what? I shouldn't do it there. Keep that freedom, that liberty between yourself and God. Honor God by eating your meat where it won't offend anyone else. 
Again, you've already been told that it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that offends your brother. Now you're being told that if you want to do these things, if you want to honor God by doing these things, and that's important too, why are you doing it? I'm doing it to honor God, not just because I like it. If you want to honor God by eating that meat, don't do it in a public way, but in private, where your joy and your honoring won't be a stumbling block to someone else. Now I would say again, this is not hard. This is 1 plus 1 equals 2. Don't do it if it's going to offend your weaker brother. Do it where it's not going to offend somebody. That's not hard, right? Am I wrong? I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty basic math, I think. Let's take the beer example again. I said beer a minute ago. If you don't see drinking a beer as sin, and you can enjoy it and honor God with it, yay you. Fantastic. That's great. But what about those brothers that are offended by that? What if that makes them stumble? What if they think it's wrong but try to follow your example and they fall into drunkenness or debauchery? Was your beer worth that? You say, well, I shouldn't be saddled with that responsibility. But you are. It's exactly what's happening here. It's exactly what he's saying. You are saddled with that responsibility. And you are to not enjoy your freedom if it causes your brother to stumble. Well, that's not fair. For meat? For beer? Really? You want your beer more than you want your brother to not stumble? Something's wrong, guys. Is it love to think or to say, well, it's not my fault someone else can't handle it. That shouldn't make it wrong for me. And if that's the way you're thinking, you're missing the whole point of this. It is wrong for you if it causes your brother to stumble. Period. So enjoy your beer. Honor God with your beer in private between yourself and God or with other people who don't see it as offensive but for the love of all that's holy. Don't flaunt your freedom and roll your eyes at the weaker brother and be frustrated that they might somehow be restricting your freedom. That is not love. And if you can't restrict your freedom to between yourself and God, then you don't know what Christian love really is. And you're missing true blessing, which is explained in the remainder of the verse. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. That's some weird wording, I think. What's this all about? Paul just told us to keep our faith between ourselves and God and away from the limelight of the eyes and conscience of my weaker brother. And now he sharpens the focus of this laser and makes this about personal blessing for the strong brother. So it's not just about the other guy. It's about me too. The word blessed here is the same word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed. Same word, blessed. And it means happy. It means possessing the favor of God and enjoying that favor. 
And here, how do we attain to that blessedness? By being one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Now go with me into this conversation one might have with himself after doing something that someone else might not agree with. Okay? Let's use the example not of beer this time. Let's use the example of mowing your grass on Sunday. Now for some, that's not even a thought or a problem. Like, I mow my grass every Sunday. Okay? But it's not true for some other people. It's quite a big deal for other people. Now, I grew up in a house where it was a big deal. Okay? And have some remains of that in my system. I'm still kind of like, ooh. And above and beyond that, I live beside my parents to whom it is a big deal. So let's say I decide I've got so much going on and my grass is up to my mid-shin and it's just going to be best to use my Sunday afternoon to get this done. Now that makes sense and I'm free to do that, right? So I do it. And then the conversation that I have with myself. You ready? My folks may not like what I just did, but I just had to. It's not a big deal anyway. It's not like I sinned. I just got something done that I had to get done, and this is the only day I could do it, so it's okay. It's no big deal. I'm cool. I'm fine. If they're offended, well, I can't help it. I'm fine. I'm okay. You ever had a conversation with yourself like that? Sound convincing? Does it sound like love? No. Sounds like I may have some lingering doubts about how my brother and sister, in this case my mom and dad, may have received or viewed what I did. Is that blessedness? Am I happy? No, because there's at least a hint of passing judgment on myself for something that I approve of. I have lingering, actually I have pretty prominent doubts about how others are viewing my freedom. And again, if I just come down on a well, they just need to deal with it mentality, I am not walking in love. I'm walking in selfishness. So there's some judgment both from those who view it wrongly and even in my own mind. And if I'm passing judgment on myself for something I approve, then there are more issues than just shin high grass. All of a sudden, my freedom is causing others to stumble, but that's not all it's doing. My freedom is causing me to be a double-minded man. And I'm passing judgment on myself and trying to make sure I don't condemn myself even though I probably am condemning myself. And what does James say about a double-minded man? A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And I say, yes, I am. And I could spend the rest of Sunday and on into early Monday morning trying to convince myself that it was okay to do what I did. But is that the conversation I want to have with myself? How many of you have ever sinned and you try to justify it for a day and a half at least? It's okay. Well, I mean, I had my reasons. It's all right. I mean, it's not really that bad. I mean, I, I, I should have done that. And then finally after a day and a half, you're like, God, I'm sorry I did that. I confess it as sin. The word confess is homo legeo, to say the same thing as, to say the same word as what God says about it. And if I sin, I need to say, God, that was sin. Instead of trying to justify it for a day and a half, which is my tendency. I think we all spend a lot of time there. Working to pass judgment in our minds that what we did was okay. 
And listen, that's not our goal. Our goal is genuine love. Remember that? We'll talk more about that later. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Keep it between yourself and God. This is so much easier, so much more loving. And it helps set the stage for this last verse that we're going to look at today. The last verse of chapter 14. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Should I or shouldn't I? Will others be offended or won't they? Will others be caused to stumble as a result or won't they? Is this wrong or not? These questions are hard and are usually different in different settings depending on where you are, who you're with, and mostly why you are doing what you're doing. And what's the main hindrance in it all? That word, doubt. Why is there a B in doubt? Can anybody help me there? D-O-U-T works. Doubt, right? Doubt it. I doubt it. Doubt's the main hindrance here. Doubt creeping into your conscience, your conscience, and making you wonder these things. And let me ask you a question. Is doubt a big deal? Well, according to this verse, it's a pretty big deal. Whoever doubts is condemned if he eats. Whoa. These doubts put us in the realm of what? Condemnation. But, but Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As long as now is now, there's no condemnation, right? But, but whoever has doubts, weak or strong brother, whoever doubts is condemned if he eats. This is one of them. They're contradictions in the Bible, ain't it? (laughs) No. As long as now is now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what's going on here? Are my doubts greater than God's grace? (laughs) No. No. Can I doubt and eat myself out of the grace of God? Or is there no condemnation? It doesn't seem like it can be both. Either Paul was wrong in Romans 8.1 or he's wrong in 14.23, right? No. No, no, no. We can be assured that for the believer, there is no condemnation from God. Now, as long as now is now, never, ever, ever will there be any condemnation from God for the believer. Why? Because He condemned sin in the flesh when He hung Jesus on a tree and placed my sins on Him. Propitiation. So God's not mad at me. God's not going to condemn me for my sin. But then what is this condemnation here in 14.23? Can I condemn myself? You betcha I can. You betcha I can. Can we judge ourselves as worthy of punishment, which is what condemn means? Yeah. Yeah, we sure can. And it's not biblically accurate to do so, but it surely does happen. Surely does 
happen. When we doubt and do what we are doubting about anyway, when we do it anyway, our conscience is pricked. Our conscience is adversely affected. And let me tell you what, it feels awful. We feel worthy of judgment and punishment, which again is what condemnation means. We feel like we're really bad people who do really bad things. And it leads to self-imposed guilt. And that guilt can be crippling. I have seen it in myself. And I've seen it in a lot of people sitting in a therapy office just over the hill here. Self-condemned by the guilt of walking in doubt and uncertainty. Devastated by a mindset of, well, maybe I shouldn't have, but oh well, I did, and now I feel awful. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Self-condemnation. Hence the being condemned if he eats. Why? Because the eating is not from faith. But there's more than that. Look at the end of the verse. This is pretty big. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Woo! Woo! <laughs> I want to read that again. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Wow. Now we've looked in the past on how pressing our brother to violate his conscience is sin for him. But here we see clearly that anytime anyone does anything that's not from faith, that thing, whatever it is, is sin. Now that's a big deal, y'all. And not just the sin, but the fact that anything that is not from faith is sin. Now what does that mean? Now we need to define faith quickly. So where do we go? Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So faith is assurance and conviction. Okay, at least. But that's not all. Hebrews 11.6 And without faith, it is impossible to please Him, meaning God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So faith pleases God as it is believing in Him and His rewards. So faith that is an assurance and a conviction is pleasing to God. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not an assurance and a conviction, whatever is not pleasing to God is sin. Now if you put that all together, that means a lot of what I do is sin. And all of the things, all of the things that lost people do are sin. You're like, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, if, if you're not a believer, you don't do anything from faith. So even your best deeds are sin, which the Scripture tells us that, right? All of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. So unbelievers are at war with God and everything that they do is sin because they're not placing their faith in God. Which my concern here this morning is not about unbelievers. It's about believers who don't operate in faith. It's not from faith, it's sin. And in our context today, if your eating, if your drinking is not from faith, but from a waffling, doubting conscience, then those acts are sin. And man, it can lead to some self-condemnation, can't it? 
If you do something, eat something, drink something that's not from an assurance in, a conviction in, and an understanding that God is pleased with it, then that thing, those things are sin. John Piper puts it this way, A failure to delight and trust in the promises of God is the greatest insult you can pay to God and therefore the primary offense in all sin. A failure to delight and trust in the promises of God, which is faith, is the greatest insult you can pay to God and therefore the primary offense in all sin. I would rather have this thing than God's pleasure. That's not faith and that's sin. So this is about our affections as well as we must delight ourselves in the person and promises of God if we are to display genuine faith in Him. If our convictions and our assurances don't lead to a genuine affection for God, then our faith is not genuine. If we're not delighting ourselves in God, then we are not walking in faith. And if it's not faith, then it's sin. Assurance, conviction, pleasing God, delighting in God, or it's sin. For me, for you, for everybody. And faith is the way we can show love to be genuine, which is our ultimate goal. So doubting leads to condemnation because that eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. That's a huge concept and I wish we had more time, but we don't. So we come to the end of our passage today, which means it's time for application. First point of application, and we've talked about this some, but we're going to drive the nail in today, last couple pounds on it. Do not do anything that makes your brother stumble. We've seen from past weeks that we have to decide to never put a stumbling block in front of our brother. And we saw last week that we need to pursue passionately those things that make for mutual peace and upbuilding. Peace and mutual upbuilding, sorry. Now in this passage, we see that it's good to not do anything that would cause our brother to stumble. It is their good we are to look out for, which is a call to get out of our own little worlds and actively think about and live in a way that shows that I am more concerned for my brother and his welfare than my own. Listen, that's the very basis, the very foundation of Christianity. You before me, your needs before my needs, your good before my good. If that sounds familiar, sounds like somebody that we know. Doesn't it? Someone who pioneered our faith. We'll get to him in a minute. But speaking of faith, point, application point two. First application point was do not do anything that makes your brother stumble. Second application point, walk by faith. Everybody's like, oh, I know that verse. We walk by faith and not by sight. True. What's that mean though? Faith in what? Faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the truthfulness and goodness of God, and faith in the fact that this is how Jesus would conduct Himself. Actually, it is how Jesus conducted Himself. He did what was best for those around Him. Jesus did what was best for us. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you by His poverty might become rich. Wow, that's pretty beautiful right there. He was rich, y'all! And He became poor. 
He put aside what He had so that we could have what He has. That's kind of what faith looks like in our lives. How about this one? 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake God made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was spotless, sinless, and God put my sin on Him. So Jesus put my needs above His needs, and He suffered death on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Now, cutting your grass on Sunday? Drinking a beer? Or six? Can you put aside what you want, what, what is fine for the sake of your brother? Only if you walk by faith. The same faith that Jesus had. When we walk like Him. How about this one? We're talking about walking in faith. Walking in faith in the power of the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus. Putting aside what we want for the sake of somebody else. Having this mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a, a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now how far should we go with this thing? And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. But my meat... Come on, guys. If you look back here, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is how you walk in faith. By believing what God says here. I have the very mind of Christ. You say, how can I discern? How can I possibly know? You have faith in the power of the Holy Spirit of God to convict your conscience and to empower you to say, no, I'm not going to do that. Because it may offend my brother. That's faith. God, I believe it. I believe that I have the mind of Christ and I believe that you can guide, in the words of the repetitive prayer we hear, that God, you can lead, guide, and direct me. You ever been around somebody that prayed that? God, please lead, God, and direct me. Us. Do I believe that the Holy Spirit of God can direct me in making decisions? Empower me to live out those decisions? If we can't, shut these doors, go home, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die and it doesn't matter anyway. If the Holy Spirit of God living in you can't help you to live out the mind of Christ that you have in you, forget Christianity. And it's impossible to please God without faith. So walk by faith. Faith in the power of the Holy Spirit to help you do what you know you should do and to help you do it in a way that is pleasing to God. Don't do anything that makes your brother stumble. Walk by faith. Now, (laughs) application point three. Exercise your freedom in private, not in public. (laughs) 
We are surely called to freedom as Christians. Galatians 5.1 For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But remember, what we're talking about here in Romans 14, in our passage from today, we're talking about non-essential convictions, not matters of salvation or clear-cut morality, which is what the Galatians verse refers to. Yes, Christian, you have freedom, but that freedom is never to be used to publicly proclaim to your brother that you can do whatever you want to regardless of what he thinks about it. Romans 14.22 reminds us that the right time and place to exercise these controversial freedoms is when you can do so between yourself and God and no other time. You're saying, well, you're restricting my freedom. No, I'm not. I'm giving you freedom to be a blessing to your brother. I'm giving you freedom to live an abundant life that is marked by blessedness because I'm not condemning myself by trying to convince myself that what I just did was okay. Exercise your freedom in private. Drink your beer in private. Just don't get drunk. Cut your grass on Sunday if your mom and dad aren't home. And when they ask you when you did it, uh, does it matter? <laughs> Exercise your freedom in private, not public. And guys, that's true freedom. It's not restriction. Last application point. Your why is so much more important than your what. Amen. Nowhere... In any of this discussion on Romans 14, have we said that this is about more rules to add to your Christian regimen? Nowhere. We are called to freedom, which we just saw in Galatians. But if your goal is simply to exercise your freedom because you can, or even to rub it in someone's face. Ever been there? I have. I've done it. I can do this. I don't care if you like it or not. I'm free to do this. If that's your reasoning in an arrogant or proud way, then your why is broken. And that is vital in all of this. Remember Romans 12, 9? I hope you do because we've mentioned it a lot. Let love be genuine. That's the goal here. That's the purpose here. 12, 13, 14, end of 15 is about this. This has to be our why. And that has to set the course for everything we do in our Christian life. And when I say everything, I mean everything. What are the two great commandments? We're almost done. Matthew 22, 34-40. But when the Pharisees heard that He, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Him a question to test Him. It's a bad idea. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to this lawyer, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Click. This is the great and first commandment. And then Jesus says, And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So all of God's law boils down to loving God and loving other people. We can refer back to Romans 13.10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And Christian, believer, this has to be your why. 
And your why has to be driving the bus of your life, not your desire to keep a list of do's and don'ts. Your list will not save you, and your list will not empower you to love God and people. It's not about what you do, what you can do, what you shouldn't do, as much as it is about why are you doing what you're doing. Why will you not flaunt your freedom? You will not flaunt your freedom so that you can honor God and love your brother. And this is a heart issue. This is an internal issue, not an external false righteousness or an external in your face, I don't care about what you think with your weak conscience issue. And that's what matters. God wants to shape and form you from the inside out. Body, soul, and spirit, God works on the inner man to affect the outer man, empowering you to live in the power of a strengthened inner man which is your spirit, so that you might honor Him and love your brother and your neighbor. If you were here Wednesday, Bob read a passage that sums up all this in Ephesians 3. And we'll end with this. Ephesians 3, 14 through 20. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So that... Why? So that... Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with what? With all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, and we'll stop there. To Him be glory in the church. You want to glorify God. You want to love your brother. Let God strengthen you with strength in your inner man so that you might be rooted and grounded in love so that He can show His glory through us and He's able to do exceeding abundantly more than all that we can think or even ask. So if this is poking you, if this is bothering you, well, I should be able to, well, I should be able to, stop that conversation with yourself right now and go to God and say, God, strengthen me with strength in the inner man so that my why is to honor you and to love my brother not to satisfy my fleshly appetites or just so that I can walk in freedom. Freedom is wonderful. It's great. Praise God it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But if your freedom causes your brother to stumble, your freedom has turned into sin. So know your why. And your why is much more important than your what. Not what you're doing, but why are you doing. so that you might honor God and love your brother. Let's pray. God, I think we certainly do overcomplicate this. But at the same time, God, it does affect everything. Everything. So help us, God, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, to know why we are doing what we're doing or why we're not doing what we're not doing. And may our why 
be so that our love might be genuine towards you and toward our brother. And God, may we decide to never put a stumbling block in our brother's path. Why? Because we love him in the same way that we love ourselves. And because ultimately we love you, God, and we want to honor you and not destroy your work. God, may we walk in the freedom, the freedom of a lack of self-condemnation as we line up with you and do what you empower us to do for your glory and for the good of our brother. Eating, drinking, wine, days, beer, grass, everything, God. Help us by the power of your Spirit to walk in the same power that Jesus walked in and to put others before ourselves so that you might get glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just stand and receive a benediction. And we'll use this end of Ephesians 3 as our benediction today. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Come stay and eat with us please if you can.